I'm not 
After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a uh, Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
מנוחה ושמחה, אור ליהודי. יום שבתון, יום מחמדי. שומרה וזוכרה, הם המעידים, כי לשישה כה בנויים ועומדים. שמי שמיים, ארץ וימים, כל צבע מרום, גבוהים ו... Hey, hey, hey. 
It's Hakol. So, and this song is also, also called Hakol. Hakol Yedusha.
Everybody. I call, come on now. I call you New Inkadosh We had great leaders, we had Sadiqim, we had great prophets. Before Mashiach is coming, all of us are little prophets. You know what happened? The six million brought prophecy into the world. Because when they walked to the gas chambers, they saw what nobody saw before. I want you to know, friends, I was privileged to see soldiers late at night with a gun in their hand looking up to the sky. I can swear to you they saw what nobody saw before. And they felt what nobody will ever feel again. I've been privileged to hold hands of wounded soldiers. They're waiting for Mashiach to bring them their eyes, their feet, their souls, their hearts. And they feel what nobody felt before. But you know, my friends, what keeps us going? One little prophecy, one little prophecy. Oh, ye shamans, the array.
JM in the AM. Wow. Thank you. I'm getting into a Kalbach mood. I may go for Ravravin next. I may just do that. I may just go <laughs> for one of my favorite Shabbos selections from Ibshleima next. Wow, that is a powerful song. Od Yishama. Shlomo Kalbach here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Here at Avram Rosenblum, the Diasperados, with Akol Yoducha from our JMDM Lagba Omer celebration. Shlomo Katz at Biglal Avos. The Kreinitz selection from Eighth Day, the Leil Shabbat medley, and Bowie B'Shalom done by Micha Gammerman. And Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this August the 13th of 2021, day five in the month of Elul, the year 5781. Tufshin Pei Aleph. Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candle lighting time in New York. It's 7.36. 7.36 is candle lighting time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. I know where we are heading for Shabbos. Apparently, uh, candle lighting and mincha are at 7 p.m. Yeah. We're heading on a uh, Shabbos adventure this week. Looking forward to it very, very much. Anyway, candle lighting in New York, 736 officially, and uh, make sure you know when things start where you are. 79 degrees, 73% humidity, winds are west at 5 miles per hour, partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm, and a high of 96. Wow. It's one of those situations where I think there has to be a thunderstorm before this weather breaks, especially if we follow the pattern of this entire week. Uh, partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm tonight. There you go, with a low of 77. And tomorrow afternoon, thunderstorms are possible with a high of 89 degrees. You shall lie right now at 89. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Missoura are at 70 degrees. 79 here in New York City, as we say good morning on a Friday era of Shabbos. Um, Malcolm Holmline will join us about an hour from now. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern time this morning. Harry Rothenberg, he'll speak about Parsha Shoftim. That'll happen uh, just after the top of the 7 o'clock hour. And um, I'm trying to think. Did I have a... uh, I don't know why I... I thought of someone else to invite to the airwaves this morning, but now I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what my idea was. <laughs> uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, will speak about Parsha Shoftim. That's at 8.15, and we'll wrap up JM in the AM for the week at 9 o'clock. Lots of great uh, Friday programming, including the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zomik at 10 a.m., sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem, Erev Shabbos music mix, and the final hour, which will start about 6.30, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Um... Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Big shout-out to Rabbi Zwickler in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, that's tomorrow night, Thursday. Uh, Thursday, uh, Sunday morning, Matis with JM Sunday. Thank you, Matis. JM Sunday is live, 7 a.m. every single Sunday morning at the Nahum Siegel Network. And, uh, of course, Monday morning, please, God, we'll be back. Very much looking forward to that. <laughs> Already looking forward to being back on Monday. Our Sephardic friends are uh, already saying slichos, so uh, a a big kudos going out uh, to the members of the Sephardic community who are up very early this morning. We'll continue to do so every Sunday through Friday for the saying of slichos during the month of Elul. It is Elul. It's a month that we are dedicating to chesed as much as we can. 
Many of you out there have uh, responded beautifully um, with uh, different ideas and different concepts regarding our Chesed campaign for the month of Elul, and I thank you for all of them. What beautiful reaction I'm getting from people who have original ideas and are implementing some amazing things in their own lives to help others before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. It is really remarkable. I have to thank uh, a a special shout-out to Dina and Ed Arp here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And I'm giving them a special shout-out this morning because they are among that group, that very, very special group of people that think of every reason to support JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, Whatever excuse they can find, to, or every reason they can find, uh, to continue to support us, they do. And there, there, are, there are a bunch of people in that categories I have described over the last um, a campaign or two that we've done. And I thank all of you very, very much who find any reason and every reason to support us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Those of you who would like to sponsor today's Elul show for blowing, which will be sometime in the next hour, you can go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. When you click on Elul show for blowing, when you click on sponsorship opportunities, you will see Elul show for blowing there on the list. And you can do that in memory of somebody, in honor of somebody. Go to uh, fjbunity.org. Again, sponsorship opportunities and then the uh, the Elul show for blowing. Uh, simple as that. What are we at here? 14 minutes before 7 o'clock, JM and the AM Friday. And... Um, as you can imagine, we have plenty more coming up on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Let me see if I could find quickly <laughs> uh, the, yeah, this is called programming on the fly, to say the least. Let me see if I could find that amazing Kalbach selection that I love so much uh, for an Erev Shabbos. Sometimes with this specific Kalbach album, you will look up a... Um, You'll look up a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, A specific song, and unfortunately, it will be, unfortunately, it will be, you know, on a different track than is indicated. Huh. I'm trying to see here. I don't know. This is, for some reason, this is behaving in a very strange manner. So we're going to have to table this. I will I will utilize some time off the air to try and uh, come up with that Kalbach selection. And meanwhile, um, uh, we will continue with more here on a JM in the AM Friday morning. Eitan Katz is next at JM in the AM. <laughs>
J.M. in the A.M. Reb Shlomo Kalbach. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Good morning, everybody. A special good morning to those of you who are listening on Naki Radio. Even though we're not on the official uh, uh, initial list, of stations available on that key radio. If you have a that key radio, you can easily, easily uh, install the Nahum Single Network with the um, secondary list that that key radio provides. Uh, and I think you know what I mean by that if you're already a user of the that key radio. So a special, special thank you and a welcome to those of you who are listening to the Nahum Single Network on that key radio. Our apologies to the other stations that seem to be. Um, Losing some listenership because of our presence there now, um, but uh, sometimes that happens. But anyway, I, a big thank you and a big hello to those who are listening on that key radio. Much appreciated. Friday morning on this August the 13th, before Shlomo Kalbach, you heard Eitan Katz. Uh, fifth of Elul, Erev Shabbos Parsha, Shoftim, candle lighting at 736 on this Erev Shabbos. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 79 degrees, 73% humidity, winds are west at 5, partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm with a high of 96, final day in the 90s it looks like, partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm tonight, low 77, tomorrow afternoon thunderstorms and a high of 89 degrees. Uh, Yerushalayim is 89, up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Missouri, they're at 70, final Shabbos of the Missouri summer season. Starting later on, 79 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. 
Golly Tsao in the background. Golly Tsao, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from Jam in the Aim. הרחבת מבצע החיסונים לאחר אישור החיסון גם לבני ולבנות 50 ומעלה. ראש הממשלה נפתלי בנט פונה בקריאה מיוחדת בשלוש שפות. לכלל האזרחים שטרם התחסנו ואומר, מנת החיסון השלישית קריטית. קחו אחריות על חייכם, הוצאו מיד להתחסן. חייכם ובריאותכם חשובים לי מאוד, אבל כל עוד לא התחסנתם בחיסון השלישי, אתם בסכנת חיים. לכן נדרש מכם לצאת מיד עכשיו להתחסן. ועד שהחיסון השלישי נכנס לפעולה בערך חמישה-שישה ימים אחרי הזריקה, אתם צריכים לשמור על עצמכם בצורה הדוקה במיוחד. מוקדם יותר שר הבריאות הורוביץ התחסן בבית החולים מאיר ואמר, אנחנו בהחלט בשעה גורלית ונוקטים בכל האמצעים כדי לבלום את המגפה. עם פתיחת שנת הלימודים נחסן גם בבתי הספר, כך השר הורוביץ מדבריו הביא כתבנו לענייני בריאות שי פרידמן. הצהרתו של שר הבריאות באשר לחיסון במערכת החינוך מגיעה ברקע הוויכוח שפרץ השבוע בקבינט הקורונה בין שרת החינוך, שר הבריאות ושרת התחבורה, כשהאחרונים דרשו לחסן גם בבתי הספר, ושרת החינוך התנגדה בתוקף. כך פרסמה כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרה וולברג. בתוך כך מתוצאות מחקר שנערך במרכז הרפואי איכילוב בתל אביב, עולה כי החיסון השלישי בטוח לא גורם לתופעות לוואי משמעותיות ויעיל ביותר בהעלאת רמת הנוגדנים בקרב חלק משמעותי מהמטופלים. ובעקבות העלייה בתחלואה, גרמניה הכריזה על ישראל, ארה״ב וטורקיה כמדינות בסיכון גבוה. לא מחוסנים שיגיעו לגרמנים ממדינות אלה יחויבו בבידוד. ברקע הרחבת מבצע החיסונים, 217 מהשבים מחוץ לארץ אומתו חיוביים לקורונה. כתבתנו עינב קרנר מזכירה שלמרות שטורקיה מדינה בסיכון מרבי, טיסות מעבר ממנה ואליה אינן מצריכות אישור מוועדת החריגים. צה"ל הפיל ביום רביעי רחפן של חמאס שחצה מרצועת עזה לשטח ישראל, כך מתיר לפרסום דובר צה"ל. כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש מעדכן שהרחפן היה במעקב לאורך כל האירוע ואותר מוקדם יותר היום. במקביל, מספר דלקות פרצו בשעה האחרונה בעוטף עזה. חוקרי שרפות מכבאות והצלה קבעו בנוגע לחלקם כי הן לא נגרמו מבלוני תבערה. במספר מוקדים נוספים צוותי הכיבוי עדיין פועלים להשתלטות על הלהבות. הולך רגל בן 73 נפצע באורח קשה מפגיעת כלי רכב בעוספיא. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר שצוות מד"א פינה אותו לבית החולים כרמל עם חבלות בפלא גופו התחתון. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות ומסי חום כבדים שוררים ברוב אזורי הארץ. אלה החדשות. Oh, oh, oh. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Shlomo Katz. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candlelighting 736 in New York. Big shout out to our friends at Gaia Coffee. Those of you who are uh, big coffee drinkers and get up early in the morning like I do. You're always looking for a delicious cup of fresh brewed coffee. Well, uh, take my suggestion. Try this one. Um, Even though it's not quote unquote fresh brewed, it's a coffee bag. Toss that coffee bag of Gaia coffee into your uh, steaming hot cup of water and let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. Go for information to GaiaCoffee.com, G-A-I-A, coffee.com, G-A-I-A, coffee.com. And, of course, check out your local kosher supermarkets. Many of them are carrying Gaia coffee in so many different varieties. Check it out and enjoy. Gaia coffee, good way to start the morning when you want something fresh brewed and uh, a unique and brand new item. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Please keep in mind Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved. Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved is three years old, having surgery this coming Monday. Uh, and I'd appreciate if everybody over Shabbos, and uh, obviously through Monday, kept in mind Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved. And your help with that, of course, is greatly appreciated. On the NSN app, listener Morris says, Good morning, Nachum. Great era of Shabbos musical selection. I guess you found the Shlomo Kalbach tune. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I love waking up early and joining you in the 6 o'clock hour. Shabbat shalom to all. Listener Morris brings up something that uh, someone else discussed with me this week, how amazing the 6 a.m. hour is. And uh, in the 6 a.m. hour, usually with a good, good uh, dose of music. Um, also, we have my opening where you never know what issue I'm going to address or what that happened the night before, the day before is going to be, you know, forefront on my mind. And uh, it makes for some interesting live radio, to say the least. So I want to thank listener Morris, who appreciates the 6 a.m. hour, as many others do. And I welcome all of you to the 7 o'clock hour now on a Friday morning Arab Shabbos at JM in the a.m.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Mila Cohen, a selection he calls uh, Likvod Shabbat here at J.M. in the A.M. Harry Rothenberg, as usual, has some amazing things to say, this time about Parsha Shoftim. Harry Rothenberg, Parsha Shoftim on J.M. in the A.M. There was a homeless person, and he had abandoned his usual post on the sidewalk, and he was standing in the middle of the intersection. Why? Because it was a traffic jam. So apparently he decided that because it was his intersection, he had to do something about it because there were no police officers around. So he's standing in the middle of the intersection, telling cars in one direction to stop, and then motioning cars in the other direction to come forward. There's a truck driver that he's stopping who goes crazy, slamming on his horn, and the homeless guy's looking at him like, you got a problem? I'm the king of this intersection. You got to listen to me. Which, of course, made sense, because as we all know, it's good to be the king. There's another king that we read about in this week's Torah portion, the king that the Jews are supposed to appoint after they settle the land of Israel. Now, that's very strange. Why do we need another king? We already have a king. God is our king up in heaven. The answer, of course, is that the Jewish king is supposed to be God's representative down on earth. He's supposed to inspire his subjects through his personal example of nobility and humility. He's supposed to exhort and cajole and assist his Jewish subjects in coming closer to God and help them observe the commandments. When it works, it's unbelievable. It worked one time in Jewish history during the reign of Dovid Amelech. King David. You think about his legacy. Even though David Melech was an incredible warrior, he didn't leave behind books about war or power like Machiavelli or Sun Tzu. Instead, he left behind Tehillim, Psalms, that continue to inspire people, Jews and non-Jews across the world, to this day, to come closer to God. David's son was Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, who is known as the wisest man who ever lived. But despite his extraordinary wisdom, he made a tragic error. He looked at this week's Torah portion, saw that God says the king of the Jews is not supposed to marry too many wives because they'll lead his heart astray. And King Solomon said, wait a second, that doesn't apply to me. Why? Because I've spent so much time working on myself that I've become a master of my thoughts and my emotions. 
I can marry more than the recommended allowance of wives, and it won't affect me. Footnote, by the way, to my wife, I think one is the perfect number of wives. But to King Solomon, he said, I can marry as many as I want. And he did. He exceeded the recommended allowance. And what do you know? They led his heart astray. But how is that possible? He was the wisest man who ever lived. How did he make that miscalculation? An answer I saw that's incredible is that he did not miscalculate. He was right. He was the master of his thoughts and emotions. And on paper, no matter how many wives he married, they wouldn't have led him astray. But God said, if a king does this, he will be led astray. So it was bound to happen. And that's a cautionary tale for us. Because once we start to play that game saying, well, I know the reason for the commandment, and it doesn't apply to me, so I don't have to do that one. I know that the kosher laws were ancient laws that were meant to keep people healthy, but nowadays we can stay healthy while eating non-kosher. That's wrong. The reason we keep kosher is because God said so. Or if we start playing this game, I'll do anything God tells me to do as long as he explains it. Don't murder. That makes sense. Don't steal. That makes sense. But don't mix wool and linen in your garment. I don't understand that one, so I'm not going to do it. Those are examples of a phenomenon that a famous rabbi once called mankind hauling God down into the courtroom of man where he does not belong. Instead of God hauling man by the scruff of our necks into the courtroom of God where we do belong. Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. We have to use all of our spare moments preparing ourselves for that once a year re-coronation of our king. We have to get ready to re-crown God, not just the king of the world, but as our individual king. Okay. 
Push me now.
Ven a 
Pretty amazing, huh? Strolly Williger with the Kalbach Ravervin that we were speaking of earlier. Amazing job with that. Just incredible. Uh, before that, Mordechai Ben David and Ravervin. You heard Aaron Razel, Chaim Dovin, and Shlomo Katz, an amazing trio with Ravervin here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candlelighting at 736 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. If you'd like to sponsor Elul Shofar Blowing any day on a Sunday through Friday here at the Nahum Single Network, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. You could sponsor Elul Shofar Blowing, uh, fjbunity.org. Click on Sponsorship Opportunities, and, of course, we thank you. Time for our Elul Shofar Blowing on a Friday era of Shabbos here at JM in the AM. There it is, and we thank you. Our friends at A&H, Abels and Hyman, have an incredible collection of most delicious kosher meats out there. Those of you who are familiar with A&H, you know just how amazing they are. Seth Levitt, their CEO, this week gave a tour online through Instagram Live of a uh, <laughs> a typical day at A&H, and it's just remarkable watching them uh, gathered together the delicious quality meat and uh, producing such delicious quality products. Information at kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net. Also, feel free to walk into any great kosher supermarket and check out the A&H display. Kosherdogs.net, 10% discount with promo code RADIO. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. It will enhance your Shabbos. It will enhance your entire kosher dining experience. Simple as that. Speaking of great food, by the way, speaking of um, of enhancing your kosher food experience, it's something that I know a lot about, trust me. <laughs> On the topic of enhancing your kosher food experience, Aaron's Casino Farms is a great place to visit any day, on any Sunday through Friday. But on Friday, Erev Shabbos, there's an extra special vibe going on, an extra special vibe going on at Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens. You got to check it out at one of these. At what? At some point, you're going to have to check it out. If you're an Alchem Single listener, you know you're going to have to tour Aaron's Casino Farms at some point. And on a Friday, in addition to all the uh, produce and groceries and different sections and um, departments that are so remarkable, whether it's Aussie's Fish or the bakery, or the uh, amazing Shook-like uh, nut collection and candy collection that they have right in the center of the store. Uh, check out Mechi's Deli. 
check out Mechi's Deli. You'll see a there'll be a line there, and for good reason, because people have a uh, a tremendous um, anxiousness to make sure they have Mechi's for their Shabbat meals. Um, and they make an absolutely perfect potato kugel, which you have to ask for the overnight kugel. Uh, but check out Mechi's. Uh, the line is worth it. The crowd is worth it. Uh, standing there and asking them for the delicious items, it's all worth it. And, of course, the Aaron's Casino Farm shopping experience, nothing like it. You know, I'm a big advocate. I'm uh, somebody who enjoys it every single— Oh, I don't know if I'll make it there today because of the uh, Shabbos adventure that we're going to be going on. Uh, but on a typical Friday, you will find me at Aaron's Casino Farms. Check it out, everybody, casinofarms.com. And uh, I just walk in and enjoy the great shopping experience, especially on an Arab Shabbos. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is going to be joining us. We've got the uh, uh, the weekly update coming up here on a uh, Friday morning Arab Shabbos. You could always depend on that. Or, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say always, but you could often depend on that every single week. Meanwhile, our Rav Ravine theme continues with Pirchei Yerushalayim at JM in the AM.
the am sticking with our rob ravine theme which we stumbled upon early this morning uh that's at new york uh, school of jewish song before that pure Yerushalayim, and before that's really williger all with rob ravine selections on a friday morning erev shabbos uh 13th of august the 5th of elul erev shabbos parsha shoftim with candle lighting at 736 don't forget our friends at jewishworldreview.com have thousands of articles about israel and the jewish world that you could print out before shabbos and enjoy reading anytime, um, and we continue to highly recommend them the way they continue to highly recommend us to their readers, which we greatly appreciate. Uh, go to jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com. Make sure you got ink and paper in your printer, and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is with us Friday mornings, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back, more or less. I appreciate that. Good to have you on. Um, well, I asked you off the air if you could discuss some of the adventures of the last few days that you've enjoyed and uh, undertook. Uh, what could you tell us about traveling in an interesting part of the world? Well, um, I had uh, business meetings and spoke at a conference. It was this 200th anniversary of Greek independence and spoke on a forum together with the foreign ministers of Greece and Cyprus, but we met the president of Cyprus, the chairman of the chief of staff, the same with the prime minister of Greece. You know, we have many common interests. It's something we promoted for more than 10 years, the Mediterranean Initiative, that resulted in the Israel-Cyprus-Greece um, agreements, which have now are expanding, and we're finding many, many more countries interested in this uh, effort. But the ties between them are, are amazing, and the reception and the importance of our visit uh, can't be underestimated in showing solidarity and support uh, for our friends in the American Greek community who celebrated the 99th or 100th anniversary of their organization uh, at this uh, conference. But um, thank God we got there uh, and <laughs> left before the forest fires uh, really hit. But the ties with Israel are amazing, and the... Um, um, prospects even even uh, better. And then I was in Morocco, where I also had very high-level meetings. And as you know, they, they opened the uh, liaison uh, delegate offices, 
which will be upgraded to full embassies within two months, they announced yesterday, which is really a remarkable development. And, and Morocco already had a, a, an office in Israel, which they had since the Oslo Accords in '93, and they never left it. They kept it all the time over all these years, 30 years, and now, of course, it's being upgraded to a full embassy. And it, there, too, the ties are amazing. The flights from Israel daily, the multiple flights, in fact, and the, um, you know, their assessment of the situation is, is like ours. There's an election coming up soon there where hopefully the Muslim Brotherhood will be uh, rem- uh, diminished uh, and removed from some of the key posts that they hold today. But the king still reigns, and he's done such amazing things for the Jewish community. You know, the, the, when he went for the dedication of a, of a synagogue, he found out that the names of the streets had been changed from their Jewish names to neutral names. Yeah. And he ordered them all restored. <laughs> amazing. And, and there are, the shuls operate openly and freely. The community is, is greatly diminished. Uh, but I think that they're, they're really looking forward to better times and with perhaps 200,000 visitors a year from Israel. Ironically, I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Greek Jewish Festival here in Lower Manhattan is this coming Sunday. I assume maybe it's tied in to the same anniversary, etc. But uh, I didn't even realize that there was a presence still of a Greek Jewish community uh, down here. But apparently there is a rich history, uh, to say the least. And I was laughing earlier when you alluded to you know the trip being hampered. You then went in the direction of the fires, which I wasn't aware of. That's a scary situation, but I thought you were heading in a COVID uh, uh, direction because I, I don't know if COVID at all, as it's doing to so many in the U.S. and Israel, I don't know if it affected your journey at all. Everything. Everybody, the whole world is affected by it. There's no escaping it. The, um, the clampdowns coming in one country after another. I think the Morocco-Israel clampdown didn't come because of the Lapid visit. They were waiting for afterwards, and it's bound to happen there, too, um, because they find that isolation is uh, the only thing I know uh, in Australia. They're already on their sixth lockdown, and uh, still there's a spreading virus. Uh, and in Europe, it's, it's, um, it's very serious. There's very few countries where it isn't serious, although we hope that because the rise is so sharp, the decline will be sharp also. I hope so. Uh, I know that that precedent was set in England, if I'm not mistaken. Israel kept looking toward England in terms of that. But, India, too. Right. Um, I, I have to just, uh, not that I like promoting anything in the New York Times, but I have to call to everyone's attention the article that Ezra Klein wrote in the opinion, the opinion piece he wrote in last Saturday's New York Times, because I, I couldn't believe that such a sensible article about COVID appeared in the New York Times, frankly. Uh, and, and I think his theme, and again, I'm paraphrasing from my point of view what he was saying, but I, I think we've learned how to live with it, we've learned how to deal with it, and now we've got to live. And, and of course, you've heard about uh, the mask mandates for schools, both New York State and New Jersey. You heard what's going on in Florida, where certain synagogues have reinstituted mask mandates, something that they can't do in schools because the governor won't allow it. Uh, and it, it's just, I, I think... That with all this experience under our belts, and you've traveled internationally, you've seen how other countries have handled it as well, I, I think we might just have to get to a point where we've learned to live with it, now let's go and live with it. Am I just being frustrated, or am I making some sense here? I think both. I think you are frustrated like everyone, and for good reason. And at the same time, it, it makes sense that ultimately, um, and many scientists say that it will not go away. It right. will be like and something we learn to live with. But right. as long as the... Uh, surges take place and the and at different age groups get affected until we really learn to cope with it 
Uh, I think the precautions are necessary. I don't think it's such an imposition to ask somebody to wear a mask or, you know, at, at times and to, and many countries, by the way, have more balanced, have balanced approaches where under certain circumstances we stayed in beautiful hotels in Casablanca, Marrakesh, and Buznica, we were in Fez and other places. And, you know, they they had uh, reasonable approaches. And in most countries today, you can't go into a hotel lobby without a mask. But when you're outside, uh, you, you're not required to wear one. And when right. I walked to Shul, which was a, a long walk, um, they didn't require us to wear a mask. In the Shul, everybody, mo- no, actually in the Shul, they did not wear masks, uh, most of the people. But the um, but in public places they do well. So. None of that seems to bother me. The part that bothers me um, um, most strikingly is the kids, the That's children right, and grandchildren yeah. who have to be in school, both in formal class and in the social atmosphere of school, and have masks on. I just I don't know. Right. It, it seems like it, it, it. I don't know why I think it's detrimental to them in the long run, but it just it's that feeling you get when you're a person of faith that this is not <laughs> what's meant to be. Um, and, and that's why when these uh, restrictions were handed down and the mask mandates were reinstated, it just I felt we were going backwards on the whole issue. But and many people and many children lost a year or a yeah, good part of, of a year course. of their education, and that that really is intolerable. Uh, kids have a, a lot of resilience, we yeah. know, but and you don't the num- want to jeopardize and the num- them. And the numbers bear it out, but I right. don't know. Uh, uh, by the way, you mentioned uh, about the the what did you call it? What what's the what's the agreement? Would you said with uh, Greece and Cyprus? You you had you had a no, name. It, that's our initiative. It's right, the Mediterranean initiative. Right, Mediterranean there's, initiative. There's so, an agreement, so, but there is a tripartite agreement between Israel, many multiple aspects of it. And by the way, with Morocco, there's a five. There are five agreements signed in every area: agrotech, our research and development, uh, economic smart. development. They're smart. They're, they're doing a lot to take, and there's a lot to take advantage. You know that trade with the UAE went from almost nothing to uh, $570 million and will go up to a billion this year and they probably are, $3 billion in two years. They are betting on a winning horse. Simple as that. Um, yeah, speaking of the UAE, so yesterday Rabbi Sarna was on. Today is the one-year anniversary of the Abraham Accords. I've got to ask you this, Malcolm. I asked him as well. Uh, we were on with uh, – this is by chance that this happened, that we found out, and I may have mentioned this too in the last few weeks, um, that now there is a daily mincha minion on Harabayat. There's a daily mincha minion on the Temple Mount. How it happens without Sidurim and what the restrictions are and who's looking away and not, it, it, we'll, we'll save for another time. Uh, but the, one of the when I heard this, I started investigating with some of the people I know are very involved with the Temple Mount situation, who feel it's important to be there, both from a spiritual aspect and from a political aspect, to show that we have, we in fact are those, or Israel, I should say, are those who have sovereignty over the Temple Mount. Um, so I, I I asked what they thought how how this developed, and they said, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the Abraham Accords. When certain people saw, meaning leaders in the Arab world saw that there could be this warm peace between Israel and the UAE, a peace that you'll re- recall the media thought would result in tremendous explosions of riots and uh, protests against Jews in Israel, etc. And, of course, none of that ever developed. Uh, when this happened with the Abraham Accords, it created a situation where certain people realized that there can be a warm peace even on a place like the Temple Mount. I'm curious what you think of that theory. Um, I don't have any evidence that that is uh, what is behind it. Quite the opposite. We we see that um, tighter restrictions, Jordan expanding its role. It was disclosed this week that I think, I'm not sure of the exact number, 700 or 800 people are listed as working 
uh, at Al-Aqsa uh, for the Jordanians, for the Waqf, which is the Muslim Trust that controls it. And the tensions there remain. Uh, so I don't know that there, uh, maybe it's a governmental change in Israel, but uh, I don't, a policy change, but I don't believe that the, the Abraham Accords necessarily extended to that. I do think that they have a broader impact that many people in the PA, many Palestinians are looking at this and saying, you know, once again, we're being left behind from uh, from the progress. And, you know, Israel is increased by 15,000 work permits um, to people from uh, uh, the West Bank Palestinians for construction and a thousand for hotel industries. And they're going to increase um, uh, the 120,000 uh, employment um, permits. So th- there are changes that are taking place that are done quietly and, and um, make an impact. I think also with the Saudi Arabia with contacts that uh, we don't talk about, but you saw Saudi Arabia arrested 69 members of Hamas uh, and uh, Jordanian members and supporters, Palestinian and Jordanian members and supporters of, of Hamas. And uh, they were arrested a couple of years ago, but they were all now sentenced to terms of three to 21 years. And the, the, um, you know, the growing recognition of the mutual interests and with the increase in stability, like Tunisia today, um, Libya, of course, is, is a mess. But um, it, we see that the, uh, the removal of the Enhada, which is a more moderate Islamist party, but an Islamist party nonetheless, is being celebrated in a lot of the Arab world as a step towards uh, bringing back the secular governments. There are so many changes that are taking place and so many things um, that could influence it. There are a lot of people who feel Morocco should play more of a role, the king being a descendant of Muhammad in, in, uh, in the Temple Mount. Uh, they have an official role on behalf of the, um, I think, of the OIT, the uh, Organization of Islamic Unity or, or the Arab League, one of the two, uh, have an official standing, but the... Um, you know, the general policies and the increasing role that Turkey plays there, playing for the demonstrations, you know, instigating uh, problems. We should, um, you know, the Abraham Accord is not a panacea for all of these issues. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, but it does feel, it feels like based on your reaction that in the abstract there might be something to it. Obviously, not in a practical sense, but in the mm-hmm. abstract, it, might, yeah. it, it creates a certain atmosphere. It's atmospheres right. changes, you're right. And the... Um, and, you know, more and more people are seeing the PA is just a corrupt, right. a useless uh, vehicle. And, um, you know, the, the, um, the policies that follow the, the people sometimes, and sometimes people in, impact the policy. And I think that there's a change in much of the Palestinian areas, although it's not manifest in the greater love for Israel as much as it is resentment against their own regime and against the people who are running. And again, the election put off, and the uh, right. they see that the rest of the how so many in the Arab world are benefiting from these exchanges. Um, the, these direct talks that Israel's in with Saudi, uh, with Saudi Arabia to fight Iran that we read about this week is that revolutionary? That's happened plenty of times before. There have always been quiet contacts for a long time. I can tell you personally, they go back more than ten years. Or, uh, but. Um, 
uh, I wouldn't overestimate the the value at this time. That meaning that it won't lead necessarily to Saudi Arabia being the next country to join. Right. But I think all of the contacts, all of the cooperation against Iran, which is essential, giving its more provocative position in and attacking the ship, the Mercer Street, and others, other actions in the Gulf, and of course outside of the Gulf, that. These countries that face a common enemy working together uh, is very critical, and Saudi Arabia is an important component. And frankly, the the potential of uh, on economic level and other levels between Saudi Arabia and Israel are really very great. They recognize it, but I think as long as the king is alive, we're not going to see uh, public progress. Uh, Has Israel officially retaliated quite- for the uh, Marshal Street episode? Has Israel officially blamed Iran? No, re, re, retaliated for the... No, uh, there's been no official retaliation, although both the U.S., U.K., Romania, Israel have publicly uh, identified it, the EU. There have been threats of uh, retaliation, uh, but nothing specific, although there have been um, additional actions against uh, a ship that was in the port in, in Syria that we don't know who did that. And Israel is having a more difficult time because Russia has shifted its policy and did launch missiles. Uh, And so Israel's uh, answer to a lot of the provocations, meaning the shipments of weapons that go through Syria, will have to be done by missile, by other means, uh, if the Russians, in fact, have made a change in their policy. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and com, on the Single Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. A special hello to those who are listening on Naki Radio. Thank you for adding the Single Network to your list of stations that you tune into on a regular basis, and those numbers continue to increase like crazy, which we appreciate. Please keep in mind Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved having surgery on Monday. Chaim Shmuel ben Leia Yocheved, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. And uh, those of you who would like to sponsor our Elul Shofar blowing, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and click on Sponsorship Opportunities. Support us and sponsor the Elul Shofar blowing Sunday through Friday. All right, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks, so let's get to a couple of items that uh, are, are really pressing and have made big headlines. What's happening up north? Is this a different type of Hezbollah offensive against Israel as compared to some of the smaller ones that have happened within the last couple of years? We don't know yet completely, but uh, Hezbollah has built up its capacity. It is today the dominant force in Lebanon. Clearly, the economic collapse of the country, Lebanon is no longer uh, what we know. It's probably not even a a state that, in its full definition, the government there is not in control. And the Hariri, the prime minister, resigned. The uh, economic conditions, as I said, are are horrific. The people have been demonstrating. They demonstrate against Hezbollah. Yeah, that was—wasn't that new? Wasn't that, you know— I don't remember the Lebanese taking to the streets the way they did in this case. There have been sporadic demonstrations at different times, but it is growing. First of all, they had the demonstration because nobody was held accountable, or there's been very little action uh, as a follow-up to the port explosion, and the first-year anniversary was last week. But the demonstrations against Hezbollah, the demonstrations by the Druze from whose area they launched the missiles against Israel, where they attacked the people, the the, uh, Hezbollah guys, and Israel bombed the road, which meant that the Hezbollah could no longer uh, use that as a, as a launching site. 
but the the fact that the people are are very concerned they don't want a war with Israel and the retaliation is very worrisome you know Hezbollah has done a lot including um, setting up their own supermarket so unless you're affiliated with them you don't get access to food and there is a shortage of food there's a shortage of everything in in uh, Lebanon today and with a non-functional government and the Hezbollah doing what it does everywhere, which is they, they, everything goes for them and, and they exploit it. Uh, there is a backlash, and we've seen increasing expressions of it and fear on the part of people in the South. By the way, the Syrian situation is deteriorated in Dara, which was the source of the initial revolution. Now we're seeing fighting between the government forces and Syrian rebels. This was an area where Russia had negotiated a ceasefire. That's broken down. We see the attempts still to cross the border periodically. There was a, a today a, a, a drone. I don't think it was armed that was uh, sh- uh, captured by Israel, fired from Hezbollah territory. Hezbollah says, well, it's not them. It's Hamas. It's others who are doing it. And Israel saying, you're responsible. This is your, you're in charge. And the Lebanese government, obviously, in charge. The, um, uh, sometimes the Lebanese armies take some steps um, against it. But overall, what we're seeing there is a very sad situation. It's, uh, it poses a danger because any time it can escalate, neither side wants it to do that now. Israel has been restrained. Both of them fired, for instance, at one point into open areas um, to send a message, but not to, to um, you know, they didn't want to escalate with people dying. Then you have a, a tit for tat and it keeps going up. Uh, they, the, the, um, uh, Hezbollah says that they have the capacity. We know they have this underground network of tunnels where they can move people. I mean, did you, did, did, you see, did you see those pictures? You can get 3000 a month in Manhattan for that space. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I never, I mean, I know we've seen photos before. But I mean, it's just—it's remarkable what they're able to build underground. And and but all this money is going instead of for food, instead of for medicine, yep. instead of for everything yep. else. And Iran, you know, had to cut back because of the economic conditions, somewhat on its aid to to them. They still engage in all sorts of criminal activities, Hezbollah and smuggling and uh, and stealing oil and selling uh, all sorts of things that they do at there and around the world. I mean, the Hezbollah is active in South America. It's active in Africa. And the funding goes to to, the, to their terrorist uh, uh, activities, and with Iran now under tremendous economic pressure and domestic the demonstrations, the the uh, you know change of government election. But look who got elected. So there's no reason to anticipate yeah. that the people who are very close to Hezbollah, one of them being the liaison, one of the the new interior minister being one of those five wanted for the bombings of the AMIA, the Jewish Community Center in Argentina in 94. Uh, very, very hard line, very uh, closely tied to Hezbollah. Uh, when, when we see the Lebanese demonstrations, you know what's going on in Iran, and there's so many other places where, where, where the people seem to be rising up. I don't know, there just seems to be an atmosphere of we're not going to take it anymore. You know, it was decades that we've been duped uh, by terrorist organizations and, and you know, somewhat type of types of government. Uh, into you know hating Israel, uh, spending our money and taking all the public money to you know do what's necessary to defend ourselves against Israel and to attack Israel, et cetera, et cetera. And now it seems like the people have just had it. Now I don't know if this is something that happens you know, on a cyclical basis, and you know it's happened a million times over the last 30, 40 years, but it just seems that there's an atmosphere in these countries now that the people feel they've been duped and they've had enough. 
That is true in many parts, and especially amongst a lot of the Palestinians who, who know that the government is a kleptocracy, which is why many don't want to give aid. And the PA will sacrifice its people. Right now, Qatar wants to send money to a list approved by Israel uh, for salaries in, in Gaza, and they said no. They don't want any money going to anybody with Hamas, and therefore they're holding up the money. And yet I'm sure Israel uh, will, will uh, take the blame for it. Yeah. But we see the escalation there and the the periodic shooting of missiles. It doesn't mean that it's an organized effort, but people have to be held to account. And the fact is that 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 there is no accountability. The the uh, Arab Spring, so-called the Arab Revolution, continues, and I, that's why I cited what's going on in Tunisia, which the Arab world is looking at. But we have elections in a number of countries taking place. We'll see the outcome where if people are prepared to go to the ballot and vote as they feel. Many of them are intimidated, many are afraid, but I think that that is changing. I think you are right that there there could be the beginning of, of uh, more significant change, um, but a lot depends on two things. One is Iran and one is Turkey. Both of them are stimulating problems. Um, Iran's provocations uh, get worse and worse, and the uh, the cyber attacks, which we don't even have time to go into, the internal demonstrations are incredible and yet the west doesn't do anything to support them to help the people who want to who are marching in the streets yelling we will not die for gaza we will not die for hezbollah we will die for iran which they said a few years ago at the green revolution and we ignored them and now again these people are putting their lives on the line and very little uh, response raisi on his first day the new uh, president received the leaders of the palestinian terror organizations including khania with raisi now in power is there less likely for a nuclear deal with the united states or it's, or him being in power it's irrelevant no, it's not irrelevant at all i do think that it's less likely or it may take longer the feeling of part of some is that they want to stall i know that the cia head was in israel this uh, this week and the reports are that he he indicated, or members of his party indicated, they don't believe Iran wants a deal right now and will delay, and they'll they'll try to leverage it, of course. But, uh, you know, if they get support from China, Russia, if they get um, – he ideologically would be opposed to any deal with the West. He's very extreme. Uh, the, the, everybody is a hardliner in the government, including Rouhani and the others, but these guys, you know, it's, it's like Ahmadinejad. They, they, there are no covers. They say it, and they mean it. And this is uh, something we have to to watch, and especially their increased use of these drones, suicide drones, as they did on the Mercer. And the ability to hit right in the pilot's house means that they have good surveillance. Uh, so I think we ought to be supporting the demonstrations inside. An Israeli submarine, I know, passed through the Suez Canal. I don't know what it means, but just take note of that. Um, <laughs> it's funny you mention the um, – um, now I lost my train of thought. Uh, uh, no, it was a submarine, not a train. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, what do you, I mean, one of the uh, things that's happened over the last couple of weeks that uh, I, I think the U.S. should be ashamed about, you and I spoke about it when I brought up the issue of the translators and others who worked for the U.S. in Afghanistan. I mean, they have they, if someone posted today on Twitter, it'll be ironic to see a Taliban flag hanging in Kabul on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Are we heading in that direction? 
Absolutely. And and Kabul could fall, some say a month, some say two months. I think that's why we're seeing this emergency action by the United States. I think that the, the question of how we withdrew will, will be a big subject and certainly become, I'm sure, a political football. Um, the um, uh, Even the Iranians, by the way, are very worried about it now because they have a long border and you know, they, they, they found safe haven in Iran at times. Uh, the leaders of uh, uh, the leaders from Kabul and uh, of the Taliban, but uh, they're worried about it. And every country should be worried because this is such an extremist terrorist entity being the head of, a, of being in control of a country, though a poor and really a very needy country, but it becomes a base of operation. So this is, and uh, with a guy like Raisi there and with others, one can't assume what the next steps will be, what the outcome of all of this. And yet, when Raisi gets installed, the EU sends a representative who stands next to him at it. It just it makes no sense that these, these it's suicidal uh, attitudes on the part of the West, of European countries and others, and everybody always trying to find the good in it and trying to you know, whitewash the real threats. I mean, none of these things needed to happen. We could have stopped a lot of them short. But we always wait until we're facing a, a crisis and a, an overwhelming situation. But, but I focus even more. Maybe it's the uh, the the, uh, the idealist in me. I, I focus even more on the. You and I have spoken for decades on this show. You know how many times we've pointed out how the U.S. has abandoned other countries that they promised to support, that they promised to help. Uh, I mean, I know now they're you know talking about going back in and you know sending troops, etc., to try to. Um, uh, try to calm the situation down, but it just seems that I mean Israel's done the same thing if we think about it, but that's a separate issue. Um, but it, it, there are just too many times that the U.S. makes a commitment to be there for another country, and then leaves with egg on its face. At least that's the way I feel. Look, it happens, but uh, but what's more important right now, I think, in the Middle East is, or as important, right. is the perception that the United States is, is right. withdrawing its commitment. And right. you, I heard that throughout the conference meetings that I had in the last few weeks, and you hear it regularly, uh, in a sense, it enhances Israel's significance yep. because they look more to Israel for because of their security concerns, especially about Iran. Um, uh, I, the United States still does have a presence, and you saw the right. uh, USS Ronald Reagan right. um, moved uh, after the bombing of the, the ship, the Mercer Street, but the, uh, the perception creates reality there. Uh, we cannot abandon the Middle East, and as much as we, China is an important issue, an important threat, and we need the resources for, for it, we have to understand the Middle East is still the fulcrum, and the, there are dynamic changes. The, the aftershocks of the revolutions uh, are, are still going on, maybe even as significantly, and there are so many potential changes. And when we send a message that we coddle Iran, that we that the EU sends a representative at the installation of a guy who killed allegedly 5,000 people, and uh, has a government of the most extreme nature, it sends the wrong message to them. They feel they're alone then, and they're abandoned, and they, it does force them, and it does encourage them to to look for other allies, including um, becoming more dependent on Israel. This is what I was going to ask you before, because you had mentioned China, and that's what triggered in my, in my mind that, I, I don't know if you could do this in a minute or two, but I'm reading all these articles, or at least I'm seeing the headlines. If I read the articles, maybe I'd know more, about uh, you know people who fear that Israel's choosing the wrong side in the China-U.S. battle. First of all, what battle are they talking about, and what role will Israel have in the future of that battle? 
So that's a very complex question and uh, not for a one-minute answer, but <laughs> the, the battle is ongoing. It's economic, it's military, it's security, it's in the uh, Pacific, it's uh, China's aggressive actions all over, supporting, they support Iran, they have built a base in Iran To now. the degree that Russia sometimes does? It's that deep of a support? I mean, it, I didn't it, realize that. Is it as deep a support? As when Russia, you know, puts their faith behind Iran or puts their resources behind Iran? Yeah, Russia really doesn't put much resources behind anything. They, they, they do this all in a shoestring because their economic situation is very bad. Its economy can't support it. China is, has this expansive role through the Belt and Road Initiative where they are building a presence. They're also incurring, incurring huge debt on the part of other governments who owe them fortunes for which they will collect. They also go into countries like Africa, and I heard this from African leaders again recently. You know, they buy huge swaths of land, and they take everything out to, to feed their people. So they're looking for food, they're looking for energy, they're looking for political clout, and they do it very quiet. The Russians do things openly, like right. Syria. Although, you know, they had never had more than two dozen planes in Syria, and they have very limited presence. And they, they depend upon, you know, they bolster the Syrian forces, and they use Iran and Turkey against each other and, and you know, to, to force their goals, which primarily keeping Assad in power. The Chinese do build economic dependency. They, you know, Haifa port, other things. They're doing it in Israel. And... There are many people in the United States, and the American government was very upset, and they said that the Sixth Fleet wouldn't call us Haifa if, if China, uh, because they use it to gain intelligence, they use it for uh, nefarious purposes as well. So the warning to you Israel... You can't ignore China, but just one point, that Israel can't be expected to break ties and say that we're not right. going to deal with China. There are a lot of exchanges. There's almost every week a delegation of China in Israel. They bought companies. They, they do a lot of joint economic uh, development. Right. But China's goal is to take whatever resources they can back. So the warning is what? Israel just be wary of China? Like you're, you're, you're getting into bed with them with a lot of deals, negotiations, things that are happening in your own country. Just be careful. Like that's the warning? I think that that's an initial warning and that you don't do anything that com could compromise your security. Right. And at the same time, you know, economic and social and intellectual exchanges uh, are valid. But you do it with both eyes wide open and with an understanding that not every deal, even if it is lucrative, is good in the long term. Uh, it's certainly that there are wary eyes. But but we do the same. The West, Western countries are doing the exact same thing that they uh, sometimes don't like when Israel does it. But it's, um, you know, it, it is a concern that, that they have to have. And, you know, Russia... Uh, doesn't have is expanding its footprint. It's now in Libya. It's in Syria. These are things that even the Tsars didn't achieve. Um, bases on the Mediterranean, uh, and he does it with a shoestring. Uh, Putin. He's very clever. And if the Russians and Chinese, because their interests really do diverge, they right. they're worried about each other, but cooperate against the West. What do you think of the rule in Israel about a third shot if you're over 60 years old? I think that it's, it seems to be validated, and you, you people who are vulnerable and have uh, special uh, needs and, and concerns, it's something that so far all the doctors and people I've spoken to indicate that they think it's valid. Israel canceled a bunch of entry permits this week. Uh, they seem to be heading in the restriction direction. What do you think Yontif's going to look like in Israel? And I'm not even talking about for tourists. I'm talking about for Israelis. Israelis, it won't be so bad. The hotels, I can tell you, have sent notices to people I know over the last couple of days canceling reservations. Uh, I had planned to go, and we canceled all our reservations. Uh, Do you need a place, Malcolm? I might have some space here in lower Manhattan for you. 
Uh, I may take you up on it, and <laughs> together with uh, 30 members of my family. But the, the um, uh, no, but seriously, this is—it's a very serious thing when the economic impact on the hotels. That this is now the second year where people can't go. I know people call all the time because they can't get permits. You, you see now, yep. unless you want to quarantine, it's not a good idea unless there's an emergency situation. Yep. I hope all the kids going to seminaries will, and yeshivas will, will be able to do so uh, right now. I think so, and then they may have to lock down for a few days when they get there. But that's no burden. Um, but I think tourism is going to take a big hit and that until October, November, we're, we're not going to see a real opening. But isn't it funny that, you know, if you go back to last September or last August, we were saying the same thing. Hopefully October, November, hopefully, you know, December, January, hopefully February, March. But a lot of hopefullys that we've been doing. But I guess all you can do is hope at this point. And, and they've introduced new restrictions, and it's not unlikely that we're going to be back to outdoor mignon and, oh. um, here, too. There may be additional restrictions. Nobody knows at this point, um, but when, don't you. be shocked by it. And it's funny because yesterday we actually postponed um, a bunch of broadcasts we were supposed to do uh, down in Florida, and everybody on the call was like, okay, it'll happen in October. And I'm like, how do we know it's going to happen in October? <laughs> it it could be a million times worse, God forbid. I mean, this thing ain't going away. This thing ain't going away. And just like people have learned to live with a lot of different things over the centuries, including in the 20th century a bunch of times, I think we've got to learn to live with this as if, it, you know, again, everyone read that Ezra Klein article. You'll see some sensible, balanced approach to the whole thing. Anyway, that, that is something that is often lacking, and people go for easy uh, answers, uh, officials, I mean. And we saw some ridiculous enforcements, you know, where they went around to yeshivas that were closed and were finding them. Right. And the, um, you know, I think for the most part, people were compliant. I think of people, you know, when, when I read about, you know, in some of the incidents on planes that people didn't want to wear a mask. Well, you got to wear a mask on a plane. That's the bottom line. Don't, don't blame them for what they do when, when an instance, uh, it instigates something. We have to just comply right now. And, and if it means an ounce of prevention, for a pound of cure, is it's worth it, and especially now I worry that the children are getting more uh, of this, although still mild, and people who are inoculated get much more mild cases from everything that I've read, uh, although the the spikes, and especially in Israel where everybody, uh, what, 80% are inoculated, right. is a good laboratory where people are studying how what, what works and what doesn't, and why the third vaccination now is being recommended because they see that after six months it begins to weaken. Uh, before I let you go, I'll get uh, I'll get criticized over a Shabbos, but I want to ask you for your reaction to what happened in Albany this week. What happened in Albany? <laughs> oh, you were in Morocco. You don't know, huh? <laughs> I don't have to know anything about Albany. And uh, uh, look, it's you know we want stability. Um, Ms. Hochul has good ties to the Jewish community, to people in the Jewish community. That's true. Um, it shall be an interim. Uh, I think that you you know. The um, look, nobody should regale whether you like Cuomo, you didn't like Cuomo, whether you care about the Democrats, Republicans, whatever. It's not good for the state. It's not good for anyone when you have this kind of instability. Right. And um, hopefully now things will calm down and till the election, and, and the election now will really get started for governor. Yeah, to say the least. And we haven't even elected a mayor yet. <laughs> That's 100% true. Um, uh, I assume we're on a regular schedule. Speak to you, Bezrat Hashem, next Friday. Bezrat Hashem, we are back to what what we call normal. Yeah. I'm not sure that it qualifies. But, Please, uh, God. 
but I was in Baltimore for the wedding of a of a grand my grand niece has made a wedding wedding. And I want us to thank the people who are listeners from Baltimore Woo! who came up and said that they They would they never miss the, the show, they said. The last two weeks. Yeah, exactly. They criticized you, right? They called you they, out they, as the expression very, very goes. Critical. They called you out. So how dare you to be traveling? And, <laughs> but it was the time zone, not my fault. Yeah, that's true. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and you I thank too. you for joining us. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for what we call the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parsha Shoftim. According to the Chinuch, Parsha Shoftim contains 41 mitzvos, 14 positive and 27 restrictions. Um, among the many mitzvot found in this week's parsha is lo sasur minadavar. You're not to deviate from that which the Chachamim have told us to do. In other words, the seven mitzvot Rabbanon that we have, and we recite a bracha, Sivanu, and he commanded us, wait a minute, Hashem didn't command us to light Shabbos candles, is from the rabbis. And Hashem didn't command us to read the Megillah and to light Ner Hanukkah and to recite Halil on Yom Tov and to uh, have the concept of Eruv. So, what does it mean when we say that bracha? And the answer is, based on this week's parsha, Hashem commanded us to listen to the Chachamim, who in turn commanded us to wash the tilas yadayim and the seven mitzvos de Rabbanon. In addition, you have the laws of king, and just remember that every time we recite Pirkas HaMazon, tonight, please God, tomorrow, when we have to bench, and Amalchus Beis David Meshichecha, the institution of kingship, which we don't yet have, this is something that the Torah says, you are to have, and please God, we will once again. And the Rambam calls the Moshiach, Melech HaMoshiach. You have at the end of the parasha the prohibition of Baltashchis, of not wasting, not cutting down a fruit-bearing tree, and not wasting um, those materials which man can get benefit thereof. I'd like to focus on the very beginning of the parsha, and really the mitzvah that the parsha begins with, shoftim v'shotrim, literally judges and officers you shall appoint. So, titen l'cha, to whom is this mitzvah addressed? And the answer is that the Vilna Gaon points out that where the Torah uses the word lochem, such as when it comes to Sukkos, ulkartem lochem, pre-eats Hadar, everybody is to take the four species on Sukkos. There it says lochem, 
And Lachem refers to Bechol Echod Echad. Each one individually is obligated to so do. As opposed to where the Torah uses the word Lacha, it refers to the singular body, which is the Sanhedrin, the representative body of Kla Yisrael. So Shovti Vishovti Ten Lacha is a mitzvah tziburi. It's a mitzvah which is directed towards the Jewish community, that the Jewish community is to appoint judges and officers. However, the Bali Musar and the Shalah, among others, interpret the verse not only to mean that the Sanhedrin and that there is an obligation throughout the generations of having judges and officers, but in addition, the Torah is speaking to each and every individual and saying to each and every individual, Shoftim Vishotrim, judges and officers, Titein you, each and every one, should have a personal judgment over oneself. And as the Torah says, don't be prejudiced and don't be biased and don't accept a bribe, but rather you should do a proper judgment and you are to do shotrim, the implementation of that judgment. I'd like to just help everybody on the one hand to remind them how difficult this quote-unquote self-appraisal and judgment is because too often it's very, very difficult for a person once they get rooted in a certain way, be it in their actions, be it in their mindset, be it in their decision, you oftentimes have great difficulty causing them to change. And therefore, I hope that each and every one of us is going to listen and today being Friday you can take down some notes and you can just see where this is coming from these three incidents in Tanakh and if you have any questions where they are 201-906-3731 I'll be happy to share the sources with you again the first incident I'd like to share with you is that of Yoshua bin Nun, who after he conquered the city of Yericho, the, we are taught in chapter 6 of the book of Yoshua, Pasuk 26, 626, what are we told? Vayashbah Yoshua Pa'esahi Lemor. Yoshua adjured, which means in simple English, imposed an oath upon the people of Israel at that time, saying, Orur Ha'ish, cursed is the man, Lifnei Hashem before God, Asheyokum 
who will get up, arise, uvana esair hazos, and build, rebuild this city, Yericho, that if the person should do it, what's going to be the punishment to him? Bivchoro yiyas deno, with his oldest child, he will lay his foundation, and uvitsiiro yatsiv delosera, and with his youngest, he will set up its gates. All right, what didn't you understand? Quite clear. God forbid someone who attempts to do this, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that he's going to lose his children. Give out. So you would say, understandably, nobody would ever be so foolish or quote-unquote stupid to do this. However, what do we find? In the book of Malachim Aleph, the first book of Kings, chapter 16, Pasuk 20, Pasuk 34, 1634, ouch, in the days of Achav. Now, King Achav was one of the, forgive me, terrible kings of the Jewish people that he and his wife, Izevel, had proliferated Avodazora idolatry in the land. And during that time, with much rebellion against Hashem, we're told in 1634, first book of Kings, Biyamav, in the days of this king, Achav, Chiel, the name of the man was Chiel, who come from Beisel. What did he do? Bana es Yericho. He built the city of Jericho. Ouch. Ba'aviram b'choro yistah. When he laid the foundation, his oldest son, Aviram, died. U this. And with his youngest son, Suguv, he installed the doors. As Kidvar Hashem, Ashadibir Biyad Yoshua bin Nun. Like the word of Hashem that he had spoken through Yoshua. Now, how could this be possible? And the answer is sad to say, once a person is so convinced in their way, even should they say, oh, come on, coincidence, etc., just so happens. Yeah. Now, our rabbis tell us that we all remember further in chapter 18 in the first book of Kings, how Eliyahu Anavi challenged the false prophets to the duel and see he built two altars, which one could bring the fire down from heaven, and whoever could bring down the fire, they are the true prophets. So, what did the false prophets do? They had somebody go under their Mizbeach, that at the time when the false prophets would call out to the Baal, saying, help us, Baal, this person would mechanically 
set afire, and it would look as if it came down from the heaven. Who was that person that was to light the, quote, firecracker underneath the um, altar of the false prophets? None other than this Chiel. And we're told by the Medrash, Yalkut Shimoni, on that chapter 18 in the first book of Kings, that God brought a poisonous snake which bit him under the altar and he didn't have a chance to light the fire. But what do we see? That once a person is committed to this horrific ideology, he couldn't pull himself out. And secondly, in the days of Yirmiyahu, there was a false prophet named Hananiah ben Azor. And in chapter 28 of the book of Yirmiyahu, verse 17, Yirmiyahu said, Look here, Hananiah, you will die because of the false prophecy false hope that you've given the people. I'm telling the people to repent. You're telling the people they're doing okay. And you will see that you will die this year. What happened, my friends? Erev Rosh Hashanah. The man is on his deathbed. And what does he say to his children? Instead of saying to his children, Oi, I was wrong. And let me at least die with tshuva on his lips. He said, Shh. Don't tell anybody that I am very sick today, Erev Rosh Hashanah. And if I die today, don't bury me today. Bury me only after Rosh Hashanah so that I will go to my death showing that Yirmiyahu was wrong. Amazing how stubborn some people can be. And even when they see it literally in front of their eyes, they're not yet ready to do tshuva. And the third example comes from Yeravim ben Nevat, who were told in chapter 13, verse 6 of Malachim Aleph as well, that the Navi comes to him and the Navi says, Yeravim, just as you are about to offer incense on the Mizbeach, you should know that all of the false prophets are going to be slaughtered on the Mizbeach. And the proof is that this Mizbeach that you are standing by is going to literally be torn asunder. The ash is going to fall to the ground. And listen carefully. At that point there, come on, Yeravim ben Nevat lifts up his hand and he points to the prophet and he's saying to the prophet seize him his hand unfortunately becomes paralyzed okay and what happens next is Yeravam says to the prophet please Pray on my behalf. And what are we told? We're told in 13.6 in Malachim, Fatihi Kivari Shona. The literal translation is, His hand was restored 
because the Navi prayed for him. But the rabbis tell us in the Medrash Tanchuma, in Pashas Kisisa, Fatika Barishona, that he went back to his former ways of idolatry. My friends, tshuva is not easy. We get too akfemt. We get too comfortable. We believe ourselves in all the deception that we could have told ourselves. Therefore, the month of Elo speaks to each and every one of us individually and says, look here, Shoftim, this is the month, in the privacy of your hearts, in the privacy of your minds, make a cheshbon, do this true judgment. And then once you realize that there are things to be corrected, Shoftim trim, be the one to make sure that it's implemented. And there's still time, three weeks before Rosh Hashanah, I pray that each and every one of us will listen to not only the Torah reading and understand the first verse as a communal mitzvah, but rather, like the Shalom HaKadosh says, Shoftim B'Shochim Titen L'cha, each and every one of us should take this lesson to heart personally. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. Schlock rocks a Shabbat in Liverpool with their Musaf Kedusha. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. Friday morning on this 13th of August, the 5th of Elul, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candle lighting at 736 in New York City. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 736 officially here on a Friday Erev Shabbos. Partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm, a high 96 today. Partly cloudy, maybe a thunderstorm tonight, low 77 tomorrow. Afternoon thunderstorms and a high of 89 degrees. 89 in Yerushalayim up in Guilford, New York, 70 degrees. Our friends at Camp Missouri getting set for the final Shabbat of the season. We're at 79 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Um, don't forget we have a service that we call resume at nachomsegel.com. We are... Uh, looking to fill positions and help those who have been uh, displaced from their positions during COVID. If you have a resume you want to get to us, anything in the Jewish not-for-profit professional realm will be passed on to our friends at the Joel Paul Group. Otherwise, we will uh, try our best to match you up with an appropriate employer. It is um, resume at nachomsegel.com. Get us your resume at nachomsegel.com. Dot com, And we look forward to trying to help out people in our community. Our Elul Chesed campaign has uh, gotten off to a very, very good start. We are recommending a bunch of things, as we did during Nissan. A um, whole bunch of different ideas that people have regarding what one can do before Rosh Hashanah and before Sukkot for needy families. Uh, one of the things we recommended is that um, Leora Teji continues to provide an amazing amount of food to families every single Thursday and is um, <laughs> is getting ready for an absolutely massive distribution for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkis. If you want to contribute, it's terror, <laughs> terror-victims.org.il. Terror dash victims.org.il. Happy birthday to Dvorah Leitner. Uh, she says it's a custom to give brachas on a birthday. May we all have health, happiness, wealth, time to enjoy. Nice quote. We shall all see the coming of Mashiach soon. And Nachum, may you constantly have the strength to keep up your good work and see Smachot with your family. Keep up your amazing work that you do. Thank you, Dvorah. Thank you very much for that. That's very much appreciated, to say the least. So happy birthday to Devorah Leitner from all of us here at JM in the AM. Earlier in the show, listener Morris recommended that we play some Joey Newcomb. Here's his Erev Shabbos Nigun on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. That's uh, that's from uh, Joey Newcomb, the era of Shabbos Nigun here at J.M. in the A.M. We have an amazing lineup all through the day. That's why there's no reason for you to touch that dial. Uh, coming. Uh, oh, by the way, next week, uh, brand new season for Naomi Nachman and Table for Two. Next week, next Friday, brand new show at 9 a.m. Uh, meanwhile, at 10 a.m. today, Mark Zomik with the Arab Shabbos show. Um, that'll be brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, our Arab Shabbos music mix all day long, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. The final hour coming up at about 6.30 Eastern time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel, Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Shout out to Rabbi Zwickler in West Orange. They're together tomorrow night for Saturday Night Siegel. And then Sunday morning, Matis is live. He's amazing. Live Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. with JM Sunday. Thank you, Matis. And I will speak to you, please God, on Monday morning right here at JM in the AM. with uh, Shalom Shalom here at JM in the AM. 
Candlelighting at 736 on this era of shop. It's 736 here in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's time to say good shop. It's with Journeys at JM and the AM. Achena, we Israel, and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish 
moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. Wraps up another amazing week here at JM&AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Great weekend programming. Start with today, 10 a.m. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler for Saturday Night Seagull. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time live here on NSN. And Monday morning, we're back with JM&AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend till Monday. And Alchem Single reminding you, remember, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.